We're going to turn to God's Word in Matthew chapter 15. Uh, I hope that you'll turn with me there if you have your Bibles. If not, you can follow along with the words on the screen. As we together hear the Word of the Lord, Matthew 15, verse 21 through 28. Hear now the Word of the Lord. Jesus left that place and went away to the district of Tyre and Sidon. Just then a Canaanite woman from that region came out and started shouting, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is tormented by a demon. But Jesus did not answer her at all. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she keeps shouting after us. Jesus answered them, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And Jesus answered, It's not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, Woman, great is your faith. Let it be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed instantly. This is God's word offered to us in its reading and in its hearing. Together we give thanks to the Lord God Almighty. Would you bow with me for a word of prayer? Gracious and loving God, we thank you for your word and for the wisdom contained therein. And as we approach it, we do so humbly knowing that you have a word for us. Lord, open our eyes that we would see, our ears that we would hear. Open our minds that we come to know and understand your word, our hearts that we would feel its power. And I ask, O oh Lord, by your grace that you would open our hands, that we would, as your servants, offer grace to the world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I got to be honest, uh, this is a difficult text. Um, on the way out, there, there was a, uh, a member of the church who says, I don't remember a time when I wasn't a Christian. I've read the Bible through multiple times. Uh, I have not dealt with this text. I don't even remember it. And it might be that it, that is because it's oftentimes avoided. Jason, thank you for taking some time to do that, which was hard for me because this has been a long week. Uh, it's been a, a long season, and, and I, I was sitting uh, at my table yesterday uh, with my computer and my Bible and my notes, and uh, I had been uh, preparing throughout the week, and it was time to make sure that it was ready, and I prayed, dear Lord, let me punt. That was ab absolutely my prayer let me punt. Let, let, let's just move this to another week down the road. We have town hall this, uh, this uh, tomorrow afternoon. I have, I have uh, things that I need to prepare for for that. It's been a long week. I'm tired. And this is a hard text. This text in particular has been used uh, by some uh, across the generations to articulate that Jesus wasn't fully divine. This Arius heresy that was defended uh, through 
through the ages by Athanasius. Uh, and Athanasius uh, winning the day for Orthodox Christianity, saying, yes, Jesus was fully man and fully divine. Others have used this text to say Jesus was sinful, Jesus was bigoted, Jesus was a human, and later God adopted him after he got over his bigotry. This is a hard text. And when we come around it, we have, to, we have to approach it with some humility and with some diligence. And we have to pursue uh, the, the challenging work of digging into the setting of the text, the language of the text, to understand the message of the text. And to clearly articulate that Jesus is fully divine. And what we find in this text is not sin from Jesus because we know from Jesus' own lips in the Gospel of John that, that he can do nothing outside of the Father. The Father is in him and with him, and he is in and with the Father. And if this word was made flesh from the very beginning, nothing was created out of him. There is only purity of light in him. We can draw forth from the whole countenance of Scripture that this has to be another place in which we hold true that Jesus is divine and pursue faithfully digging into the word, understanding that it is yet a difficult text. So let me start with the setting of this text. I think it's important. We're going to put a map on the screen uh, because sometimes we got to know where things are happening and what's going on. I'm going to reverse back to Matthew chapter 13. At the end of chapter 13, Jesus is teaching in Nazareth, his hometown, and, and there he performs a few miracles because, uh, as Jesus says, a prophet is not welcome in his hometown. Do you remember that text? And, and there is some discord amongst the Christian, uh, amongst the, the Jewish community there as they say, don't we know this man? We know his family. We know his mom. We know his daddy. We know his, kid, his, his brothers. Uh, and so when you put all of that together, he's in Nazareth. And then it says that from Nazareth, they then hear that his cousin, John the Baptist, has been beheaded. And the scripture says they then move by boat, which means they move from Nazareth to the Sea of Galilee. They move by boat to a deserted place in order to withdraw so that he could find solitude in the presence of God. So it's likely he then went to Magadan or Gennesaret crossed probably to the north to a more rural area north of Capernaum. Uh, but there in that space, do you remember what happens next in Matthew 14? He withdraws to find solitude and he finds 5,000 people. There are 5,000 people that figure out where he is, that press in on him and, and want to hear from him and be healed by him and, and, and to understand that the Messiah has come and to be able to proclaim that in their faith. And so we find Jesus somewhere around the region of Capernaum with 5,000 people. And the disciples say, send them away. Let them go find something to eat. They're going to starve. And Jesus says, you give them something to eat. And then we have Jesus' blessing and the multipl multiplication of the food. And the 5,000 are fed. Then, where does he go next? He then goes uh, by boat, or at least the disciples do, 
It says the disciples left him, and he said, I'll catch up later. And Jesus walks on the water on the Sea of Galilee. You remember the story? Okay. And then where, where do they land the boat after Jesus gets in the boat with the disciples? Gennesaret. It's italicized there. It's on the western coast of the Sea of Galilee. It is Nazareth, Gennesaret, Capernaum are all cities of the Jews. This portion of the Sea of Galilee, of the Galilee region, is a Jewish Orthodox region where people are faithfully pursuing, even in the midst of oppression, faith in God, the one true God, Yahweh. So uh, he teaches in Gennesaret, he heals, uh, he has some encounters with some religious leaders, and then something odd happens. We get to Matthew 15, verse 21, where we began, and it says that he left that place. By the way, that place is Gennesaret. He left Gennesaret, and where did he go? Away to the district of Tyre and Sidon. Do you see it way up at the top? Tyre and Sidon, on the coast of the Mediterranean Sea? He leaves Galilee, he leaves the Jewish people in the Jewish region and goes into a Gentile area where the Roman influence had been fully established and adopted and that a region that has the heritage of the Canaanite people, not Israel. And this is a significant Roman setting because on the coast, uh, the, uh, the Roman Empire would trade across the Mediterranean Sea, moving goods by ship. In fact, people were also moved by ship. We hear later that, that Paul, as he enters into one of his evangelistic journeys, uh, uses the port in Tyre and, and, uh, and then sails across the sea. Why did Jesus trek 35 to 45 miles from the Jewish people to this region? It's an important question for us to ask. What is his purpose of doing so? 35 to 45 miles. How long would it take you to walk 30 or 5 or 45 miles? For me, I love hiking. It would be a long, hard two days for me. Based on all of the historical data points that we could find, people in Jesus' day would make that trip 35 miles in one long day. 11 or 12 hour day of fast-paced, I imagine, just by my own personal calculation, walking. And so Jesus was going out of his way with some intention in order to make a point for a purpose. Now, why do I say this? I, I say this because it, it's uh, this region, Tyre Sidon, is uh, is not uh, new to the Gospels. It's not new to the Scriptures. We're not going to go through all the Old Testament's re references to this location, but there's a couple of references prior to this in the Gospels. The first comes to us in Mark chapter three, verse eight. Mark chapter 3, verse 8. So this is early in Jesus' ministry, and it starts describing the people that are coming to Jesus in order to receive his teaching, his healing, and to understand who he is as the Messiah. And it says, hearing all that Jesus was doing, they came to him in great numbers from Judea, that makes sense, Jerusalem, uh -huh. Idumea, 
By the way, I didn't do the research, so I don't even know where that is. Sorry. Uh, beyond the Jordan, okay, now we're outside of Israel, and the region around Tyre and Sidon. So, so there are people from outside of the Jewish community, from early in Jesus' ministry, that have heard about who Jesus is, what he is doing, what he is teaching, and they are so drawn to him to understand what impact that he could have, not only on Israel, but for their lives, that they are pursuing him from great distances. Fascinating. Then we hear of Tyre and Sidon again in Matthew chapter 11, just a few chapters before what we see in Matthew chapter 15. And it, it, uh, it's a fascinating uh, point in the gospel because Jesus has been teaching in Corazon and in Bethsaida. These are Jewish strongholds on the Sea of Galilee on that northern end of the map that we looked at earlier. And Jesus has been teaching them and they're not receiving the good news. And so he gives them a woe. He says, woe to you, Corazon, woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the deeds of power done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. He says to Jewish people, woe to you because I have done this for you and you rejected me. If I went beyond the house of Israel, if I went into a Gentile region and did the same thing, they would receive me. Interesting. The interesting that he calls forth this prophetic word. That he knows that they are already pursuing faith in him from Mark chapter 3. And now... He testifies that it would be fulfilled, and he intentionally goes 35 miles out of his way into another region. And it's important for us to understand this, because if we know uh, what's being said, uh, we also need to know where it's being said, because sometimes those things matter. Here's an example. So uh, just after Christmas, actually Christmas morning 2019, our family uh, sets up a, uh, a surprise trip to New York City. We wake up, we open up a few presents, boom, plane tickets to New York City. By the way, you could still print those if need be. And so we printed them out, and the kids were like, what, really? And then it was like, yeah, now, bags are packed, boom, let's go. And it was an awesome trip. Our friends, the Hobsons, uh, did the same thing with their kids, and we showed up in, uh, in the, the, the New York City airport, and uh, we're like, oh, fancy meeting you here at the baggage claim. It was fantastic. Well, uh, I love subways. I love figuring it out. It's like, it's like a little puzzle, and I like puzzles. And it's like, it's like, hey, I'm going from here to there, and I have to make three transfers, but which ones will be the fastest? And so I, I, I'd like to map that out. And so we're riding the subway the whole time because I'm addicted. Uh, and sometimes I'm a failure at it, and I get corrected, and I don't like being corrected. It's a whole thing. But um, so here we are on the subway on the very last day, and my buddy Dave Hobson uh, is there next to me, and across the aisle in a crowded New York subway, there's Sam. Sam at the time just turned seven. And he decides uh, to respond to a specific question in an interesting way. Dave said, hey, it's our last day. This was an awesome trip. Sam, what do you think about New York City? 
And Sam looks at Dave and in his loudest, most exuberant voice said, It stinks. There's trash everywhere. New York City is disgusting. I never want to come back. <laughs> Shh, come here, come here. You know, I'm like, I'm like, 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 please don't hurt us. Like, <laughs> it's like, you know, if he said that in Texas, everybody's like, mm-hmm, that's right. Yeah. New York City's kind of gross. There's lots of trash. I don't know why they can't pick up their trash. I mean, like, don't mess with Texas, though, right? Like, we have, it's, a whole, it's a whole thing. But, but for Sam to say that in that location had a different impact. And those that received him saying that had a different impact. What you say and where you say it matters. So it matters that we know that Jesus intentionally left the Jewish community around the Galilee in order to go to the Gentile community of Tyre and Sidon. But why? Why did he go? Well, let's look at in the, in the story, dig in and see if we could analyze why we think he might have uh, taken that, that journey. So he's walking. Uh, we don't hear anything about crowds. That's interesting because everywhere he had been going around the Galilee, crowds. We don't hear anything about crowds. But we hear about disciples and on the journey, there's a Canaanite woman, to be expected, a Gentile woman. This is a region that Canaanites would have lived in. Uh, there's a Canaanite woman, a Gentile woman, and she starts shouting, Lord. That's her first word. Interesting, right? Like her, her, first, uh, her first articulation here is, have mercy on me, Lord. She calls him Lord. Well, what, what does that, that mean, Lord. Sometimes I think we just gloss over it. It's incorporated into our prayers. And if we would, if we would just kind of wrestle with the truth that, that this Canaanite woman, this Gentile woman is calling him Lord, uh, what power is in that name? And, and sometimes we, we want to bifurcate this, this, this unified reality of, of who Jesus is as Lord. And she understood it. And there's, and there's no Greek differentiation. And when she says to Jesus, Lord, she is saying, you are Lord of heaven and earth. From, uh, in you, all things had their being. Uh, you are Lord, whether I say it or whether your disciples say it or whether anyone says it in, throughout all the generations, you are Lord period. And she is also saying, you are my Lord. You're my personal Lord. I will submit to you. I will give my life to you. I will honor you. I will serve you. Where you lead me, I will go. Direct my footsteps. I submit to you because your will, I want to be my will. How beautiful of an introduction. She calls him from the very beginning, Lord. Not teacher, not prophet, Lord. Even later in the story, we see that she kneels before him, bows before him in a posture of submission, calling upon him to heal her daughter who's afflicted by a demon, believing that he has that very power because he is Lord of heaven and earth and believing in it in faith because Jesus is her personal Lord. It's beautiful. And we could relate to this Canaanite woman because we are Gentiles as well. 
We are not, unless I, I, I fail to understand that one of you comes from that Jewish house of Israel tradition. Most of us, I assume, are from a Gentile tradition, and so we could relate to the Canaanite woman here, submitting to him, offering ourselves to him as Lord. But then we have this, this important statement that is challenging for us to understand. So let's get the order of the dialogue correct. She calls on him, have mercy on me, Lord. Uh, my daughter is afflicted with a demon. Jesus says nothing the scripture records. He doesn't immediately respond to her. He doesn't engage with her. He merely continues along the way. Well, this is frustrating to his disciples. They're trying to have a little peace and quiet on their hike. And, uh, and the disciples then address Jesus. So you have a separate interaction here. The disciples say to Jesus, send her away. She's uh, ruining the mood. She's loud and obnoxious. Whatever they were trying to infer, they told him to send her away. And then he responds to the disciples. Certainly in the Canaanite woman's hearing, certainly in her presence, but not yet engaging with her directly. Do you see that? So the Canaanite woman is speaking. Jesus continues on. The disciples refer to him. He refers back to the disciples. And then what do we have? So in in verse 24, and by the way, some of you are like, hey, Jason isn't reading the NIV today. I bought an NIV because Jason reads from the NIV. Like, it's a throwback Sunday. He read from the NRSV because, like, that's what I used to read from until we got our altar Bible that's bilingual and interlinear and the NIV because they didn't have an NRSV that's bilingual. But anyway, that's a whole thing. The reason why I read it is because there's one particular uh, word that's translated so much more appropriately and beautifully in the NRSV than the NIV, but both of them still fail. And so we're going to look at the Greek, and everybody's like, oh gosh, Jason and Greek again. So um, we're going we're gonna to first look at what it says. Uh, he, he jumped the gun. That's okay. So leave it up, Seth. You're good. So remember, I want you to hear again what mine said, and yours probably said, NIV or NRSV. I was sent, Jesus says to his disciples, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now, the house of Israel piece is accurate and is important and does advance the ongoing dialogue as we will observe as, uh, in a few moments. But I first want to look at the Greek. I'm not going to attempt to read the Greek to you, okay? But I am going to read this English. This is after he answers. This is his statement in the Greek. The literal translation, not I was sent... Not, I was sent. I was sent is one word. Not, I was sent. If not to the sheep being lost of the house of Israel. Okay. Now, I understand why the translators botched this. Because it's really difficult to make that Greek make sense in English. But, but here's, here's what I want you to see. He, when he says sent, he's talking commissioned, uh, emissary, ambassador. Uh, these are the kinds of words in the Greek that are used for the sent. On behalf of, with authority and, uh, and representation of, this is important. And basically he's saying, if I wasn't sent to the house of Israel, then I wasn't sent. 
If you take those two and you invert them, it might help us to further grasp this. Because we know that the Messiah is to be sent to the house of Israel, right? Jesus is in the line in the house of David, which is in the house of Israel. This is important because it fulfills God's promise to Abraham as he says, I will make, I will bless you and I will use your descendants to make way for a blessing for, do you remember this? All nations. All nations, Gentiles, everybody outside of the house of Israel, none are able to receive Jesus, to receive God's blessing, unless it comes through and in the house of Israel. Jesus isn't directing this to the Canaanite Gentile woman. He is, though, articulating a truth that should not be surprising to any of us. Now, one of the things I want you to note is if you have your Bibles uh, or, or if you heard me say this, yeah, that's interesting. All right, so um, Alyssa, she's going to help us out. If you're online, that was a special moment. You should have been here in person because that's never happened before. Uh, they're going to turn the system off. They're going to turn the regular lights on. And we're going to have, hopefully, a reboot just to regular lights. Yeah, look at that. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, Megan's, Megan's making the party back there in the moment. What are we thinking? Wow. Maybe? What do y'all think? If I try to keep going, I'm just going to be distracted as we resolve it. So I'm just going to continue the pause. Yeah, we need the engineer, so we called three staff. We have three staff members and now an engineer back here. Perfect. Uh, what do y'all think? I mean, more Sam stories while we wait? Hey, we're just going to leave there. Oh. Awesome. All right. Seth, I blame that on you. No, he didn't. He's like, I didn't touch anything. His hands are in the air. He's like, it wasn't me. Ariel and Russ and Seth are all like stepping back from the board. I understand. Hey, sometimes, sometimes we, we face those uh, demons in the technology. Man, wow. Interesting. So, so I want you to note that in most translations of this verse, we see that there is a word only or first inserted in this Greek. And I want you to know there are words in Greek for only or first. And none of those Greek words are here. Interesting. I think that the translators do that because the sentence is so difficult to articulate in English. I understand the challenge. They want it to still yet flow <laughs> it's rebooting and giving me like, okay, golly, it's, it's going to be a long day. All right. So I want you to see that, that, that the word only is not here. It didn't come off of Jesus' lips. 
It wasn't even recorded by one of the gospel writers uh, inaccurately. It wasn't there. And so when we hear Jesus say this, he's saying to his disciples, hey, uh, I am here for the house of Israel. If I wasn't, then I wouldn't be the Messiah. I had to be in order to be the Messiah. And so it's a critical connection for us to make between the two. But then the story continues on, and it gets uh, even, uh, even more challenging. The Canaanite uh, woman then kneels before Jesus. Uh, so now uh, I imagine he just kept walking, and now she's like, boom, in his spot. And he doesn't walk around her. He doesn't any longer ignore her. Now he engages with her. She then says, have mercy on me. It's not, uh, she says, uh, when she kneels before him, Lord, Help me. She reiterates his lordship. Help me. And Jesus' response is then this. It's not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. Did Jesus just refer to her as a dog? Yes. Let's take it two steps further and understand the cultural context in which Jesus was living and the nuance and distinctive difference of what Jesus did versus what would have been expected at the time. So this word dogs here, uh, if, if you were living in that culture and that community at the time, you would refer to a, a, a Gentile, if you were a faithful Orthodox practicing Jew, as a dog, as a wild scavenging dog. A kayon. Now, th- this would be a, 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 a pejorative term. It would be a term that, that is designed to, to outcast uh, and set apart, set aside the people that weren't a part of the house and the family. But Jesus doesn't use kayon in this sentence. And so we need to understand the difference of what Jesus says. Jesus says to a woman that would have assumed that a Jewish teacher would say kayon. Instead, what does he say? He says kainarayon, which means a house dog or a puppy that's welcome in the home. Now, that seems still harsh because Jesus is still referring to her as an animal And yet, he's now saying, you're not outside of the house. You're not not any longer excluded from the home. You're in the home. But should I give someone who's in the home that has been newly welcomed in something to eat? And she responds to him like this. She says, she says, even, uh, even a dog, even a kainairon, uh, a house puppy, is welcome to receive the crumbs from the table. She's able to articulate that, that if I'm in the house, then there's something for me. I trust in it. I believe it. That I believe that you have the bread of life that is able to sustain and transform my future and my reality through which I receive grace and salvation by faith. I trust that you have power even in the crumbs to redeem and restore all people. 
Isn't that crazy that there is a, a smaller community, the Israelite community, the Jewish people that are at the table and he is offering them bread and even that seems to be radical. But, but we believe, just as the Canaanite woman believes, that even the crumbs are enough for the entire world. And Jesus is overjoyed at her faith and responds to her by saying her great faith has healed her daughter. I think that it's, it's a beautiful invitation for each and every one of us to understand that we otherwise by our own heritage, by our own uh, by our own strength, by our own activity, by our own faithfulness, do not have a place in the house of God. But through the work of Jesus Christ, fulfilling the promise of God from the very beginning to Abraham, carrying down through the generations, now you and I have access to the home. We are welcomed in, and we have the bread of life that transforms each and every one of us. Brothers and sisters, Romans chapter 1, verse 16, it, it calls uh, uh, for us a new understanding that Jesus came first for the Jews and then for the Gentiles. And it's articulated in Jesus' activities here. Do you want to know what Jesus did whenever he left, uh, what he did after he healed the Canaanite woman, uh, Canaanite woman's daughter? Nothing. Scripture doesn't say he did anything else. The whole, the entire purpose of that journey was to teach the disciples, including Matthew the Levite, that this thing is bigger than the Jews. And it welcomes you and me into salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. May we walk in the faith of our foremother, the Canaanite woman. Will you pray with me? Gracious and loving God, thank you for being present with us and moving in our midst, helping us to grapple with even the, the difficult to understand text and seeing your sovereignty and your fidelity uh, uh, exemplified in your word. Thank you. We ask, oh God, that you would make yourself known to us throughout the week as we realize that we have all that is necessary to sustain us and to transform our daily lives. Lord, as we continue in worship and we enter into this time of offering, Lord, I thank you for each and every person present. We pray that you would bless these gifts and the givers of well, that all that is done in this space and time would be for your glory, honor, and praise. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.